Security clearance level three or above is required to access files. Command codes verified. Welcome back to GGR Pirate Radio. Uh, let's go into a topic that we kind of created out of nowhere. And I really like this. MC, tell us a little bit about Mount Busborn and what it's all about. Well, we just did the Mount Rushmore topic with, you know, all of the legends, the great players, the great people for your for your franchises for your teams and whatnot like all the names who are going to go into your ring of honor the ones you're going to tell your kids about you know so and so who made that play or caught that ball and blah 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 this is the opposite of that these these are guys who you were excited to get they were they were a name you were telling your friends oh yeah we got so and so they're going to be great and and then they then they actually play and 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 then they're not great and then you're like wow we gave a hundred million dollars to that guy wow yeah. we, we did that and and it just it just never never pans out so that that's that's what that is someone who was supposed to be good who maybe have been maybe was wonderful amazing in practice you hear about their practices all week long and then game time not good don't show up yeah. Whether it's a draft pick, free agent, whatever the case may be. All of Co- it. Yeah. Coach, coach <laughs> yeah. or GM. <laughs> yeah. Anyone who's just not good, like infamously not good. Yeah. Now, when you came up with your list, did you do it just for DC or did you just kind of go all over the map with this one? Uh, <laughs> uh, I'll be honest. I don't have a list, but I, I have a list in my head <laughs> because they're there. There are, cert- there are certain names that, yeah. you know, for, for lack of a better word, trigger me when I think about <laughs> how how offensive they were to the sports teams that yeah. I rooted for yeah. because they had to grace the floor or field with their presence. Yeah. Okay. Fair. Okay. <laughs> uh, go. Yeah. If you want to you start us off. Well, I kind of alluded to him in my, in my intro there. Albert Hainsworth, That's I think, is the most bitch. just... The most obvious, <laughs> the most obvious of names here. And, oh, man. I mean, I mean, it 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 falls into it. Falls, unfortunately, it's a, it's a all too familiar story with uh, NFL players, which are average for most of the time. Oh wait, I can get paid next year, have career season, get paid, do nothing. And I won't lie, I was honestly, I was honestly a, I was a Hainsworth apologist. At first, because I was like, hey, if, if, the, if the boy doesn't want to play nose tackle, okay, sure, whatever. And then I realized, you know what? He's just not that good. You know, the, I, forget, I forget what game it was where I saw him, you know, he, he kind of hand fall with a lineman. He fell down and then just kind of laid there. Oh, it was that Philly game. It was the game that um, they – before the game, they announced that 
McNabb was getting a signing, uh, getting a contact contract extension. So yeah, that's right. Yep. Th- there was that. And then on the first play of the game, Michael Vick threw like an 85 yard touchdown to Deshaun. Jackson. Oh, it was, uh, the Monday night massacre. That was, Oh that God. Game? It was like, what was it? What was the final yeah. score of that? Like 58 to 27 or something like that. It was horrible. Like it was, yeah. Cause Michael Vick was dancing around cause, and, and Hainsworth was on the ground and didn't get back up cause the play was still going. Oh God. I Hated Albert Hainsworth. Oh man, and then, like the, I, I was, I was so angry watching that because he, like, earlier that season he had had he had made a play that I had never seen before in NFL history, yeah. which was it was actually the Chicago game against Jay Cutler, where he, sorry, trying to get this dog from playing with his squeaky toy in the mic, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, where I saw him uh, the Bears game where I saw him sack Jay Cutler with his own lineman, like he pushed him into Jay Cutler and sack him. Just greatest thing yeah. I've ever seen. Yeah. And then and then I see him just kind of lounge around on the ground while the play is still alive. It's not dead while the quarterback still has the ball. And the lot like the lineman is like he's anticipating Hainsworth getting back up and then he looks puzzled like wait, is he dead? Like why is he not moved? What? And no, it like, turns out he's just lazy. <laughs> yeah. Basically. And yeah. it was like, well there's there's I mean there's really nothing you can do for that. And then it didn't help that, you know, you know, he 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 got shipped out of there. He went to New England, talked all this trash about Washington, which probably was fair, you know, in retrospect, you know, given what we now know about Shanahan and the organization overall. <laughs> but guess what he did in, in New England? Nothing. Because they cut thing. they cut him a few weeks after they signed him. Because yeah. they knew he was trash. So Yeah. <laughs> I just like I remember I was so excited. It was the year after the Giants had shocked the Patriots in that Super Bowl and the Giants were the defending champs. They were they had all the swagger. And the first game of the season was New York versus uh, Washington. And I can't remember who the running back was at the time for the Giants. But a big like big dude like big bruising Brandon Jacobs. Yeah. Big bruising running back says, oh, I'm going to run all over this team, yada, yada, yada. And Hainsworth, it was the first time that I had heard Washington in a while have a player that had some swagger to him. He was like, Brandon Jacobs, what is he, like 230 pounds? He was like, I was 230 pounds when I was 12. And I was like, oh, I like Hainsworth. This is going to be good. Like, I was really excited about this. And then it just fell apart. And like, oh, yeah, I'm, dude, I'm with you. Um, Let me give you one of mine. While we're on that, but I can cross that one off my list because he was on my list too. Uh, we're going to go a little, um, unorthodox with this one. Okay. But the biggest bust in DC sports history is Dan Snyder. Because if anybody had bought this team, anybody other than him, they would still be relevant. If Jack Kent Cook's children, who who that's when he gave when when Jack Kent Cook passed away in his will, it said, I want this team to remain in my family's name. And it didn't. His son sold it. And I mean, granted, like John Kent Cook made an ass load of money off of this deal. But like Dan Snyder had no intention of ever being a good NFL owner. He just knew that this team was lucrative and that he could make a lot of money off of it because of the fans. And 20, how many years has it been now? It's been at least 20 this year. It's Yeah, this will be 22, year 21. I think it's 22 yeah. years this year. In the 22 years that he has run this franchise into the ground, they've lost. Like, that's the thing is they're always on the list of Forbes uh, magazines, like top grossing 
teams, right? Like every year they're always in the top 10, but what they're missing about all this too, is that the fandom is slowly, but surely dwindling. They last year won their home, their, um, their season opener against the Cardinals in an, in impressive fashion too. Like their defense looked like dominating and their home opener against the Colts was like, there was half attendance. Like nobody was there because nobody cares about this team anymore. It's a garbage team with garbage ownership and a garbage stadium that nobody wants to go to. There's no reason to go there. What what's there? Like the, the, the seats are uncomfortable. There's, there's little shade. And if there is shade, it's obstructed views. It's just, it's not a fun venue to go to. The, the food is garbage, like at best, like it's Papa John's and chicken tenders. Like there, there's nothing unique about this place. You go to a baseball game. Nats park is gorgeous. The food is awesome. Like the parking is not that difficult to get to. There's a Metro stop within like maybe right like a there. quarter of a mile. The the one that go that goes to FedEx field is a mile, one mile from the stadium. Yep. That's a joke. That's an absolute joke. You mean to tell me that Dan Snyder and all that money couldn't have found a way to get a Metro stop closer? That's BS. Oh, that wait, BS. Fun, fun story about that. They yeah. used to have shuttles from uh, Addison Road Metro Station and from Landover Station. They, uh, for some reason, in the mid-2000s, because that, that was how me and my, my mom used to get to games. We would ride the train to either Addison Road or Landover Station, and then we would catch the $1 Metro bus to uh, the, the, the $1 shuttle to go that would drop you off directly at FedEx Field. And then for some reason in the mid-2000s, Dan Snyder was like, nah, I think Metro's making too much off of this, so I'm just going to completely discontinue it. I just... Now because, you can catch a ten dollar Uber from the station if you want to. Right, if you don't want to walk. Like, and that's the thing too is like the only reason that I still have like a little bit of like a heartstring attached to this team is because my dad is a huge fan still. Like, I've pretty much renounced my fandom like completely, <laughs> but like I still root for them because my dad does. And I've taken my dad to games, and my dad's getting a little bit older. I, I don't know how much longer he's going to be able to make that one mile hike, man. And like, if he wants to go to a game, I'll, I'll suck up my pride and go and see it with him. But, but like now is that it, it just, it, it's, it's not a good product. It, it's not in a good place. There's no redeeming qualities to this team other than grasping onto this nostalgia and they milk you for every single possible thing they can. Cause they trot out all of these legends all the time and hall of famers and they, they hire them to work for, for the networks and stuff like that. And it's just a joke. And like, he is by far the biggest bust, but unlike Hainsworth, you can't cut him and, and you just have to suffer with it. And, and this team is never going to be good. And I, it's, I can't why it's like if you had a friend who was in an abusive relationship and you try to explain to them, you got to get out of this, but they, they can't see it. They won't listen. And that's what I feel like was going on with this team is like, you just, you, you just have to watch in horror and I just have to wash my hands of the whole thing. It's just like, you know what? I, I, I can't. Good luck. You know, I, I hope you guys win something eventually, but it'll probably be long, long after I leave, you know, <laughs> like I'm, I'm out of here. Um, and it's a, it's a shame too. Cause there was a time when they were my favorite sports team, period. The caps have, have far surpassed them, but there was a time when football was my favorite sport. 
Washington was my favorite football team. And now I just, I can't even stomach supporting them in any way, shape or fashion. And like, I read the news stories about what this season is going to be like, and it's just going to be another dumpster fire. Like it is, they might win a couple of games and then they're going to tank and they will be like six and 10 or something like that. And they'll just be starting over again. And they're going to be the same garbage team every single year over and over and over again, ruining players opportunities to have good careers. Like they literally should just strip all of the players from this team and, and, and have like another draft and let the other teams in the NFL draft these guys to give them a fighting chance to actually play on a relevant football team. Agree 110%. <laughs> I think you guys would both look good in black and gold. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I can hook you guys up with some jerseys pretty quick. Well, you know, Heath Miller was the UVA guy, so I do have a little <laughs> little uh, appreciation for that. You have an in. <laughs> yeah, this is this is true. Steve, give us give us one of your, your Mount Bustmore picks. Yeah, so this was an interesting one because the Steelers, like, they don't do a lot of free agency stuff. Like they don't do a lot of big splashy free agent signings. They're usually like kind of like this past season by Le'Veon Bell, by Antonio Brown. We'll, we'll draft some guys and develop them over time. Um, so the biggest busts for the Steelers typically are just higher draft picks that didn't pan out. Um, but there are a couple of names that um, we did sign that they didn't really pan out well uh the most notable one for me was uh legarrett blunt um he's actually a pretty decent player uh just apparently not on our team um him and Le'Veon uh living up to to his uh uh, garrett blunt's last name there uh got pulled over (laughs) uh a little little mj in the car and they uh got suspended um and just a handful of games in the season we're like you know what we're we're good, Legarrett. Why don't you, why don't you mosey on out of here? And then he joined the Patriots and won a Super Bowl that year. So it didn't really work out for us. Worked out for Blunt pretty well, I guess. I mean, he obviously had a good time downtown with Le'Veon, and then you know left and won a Super Bowl. <laughs> so uh, a good couple for Super Bowls. Him. He was on that Eagles team that won um, two years back. Yeah, uh, I mean. That dude's had a very interesting career all the way back to when he was on Oregon and he punched that one Boise State dude in the face. Oh, yeah. That's uh, right. I mean, yeah. you're I always it. like, so, so this guy's going to be, he's going to be interesting to watch. Um, and he started, he's really, he start with the Bucks too, wasn't he in Tampa Bay? Yeah. Yeah. He started with Tampa Bay. He's, he's kind of been a journeyman at this point. Um, I think his last team was uh, the Lions, if I'm remembering correctly. But, um, yeah, I mean, like, not saying he's a bad player or anything, but like his time with us was was clearly a mistake. Like we we did not we did not sign him well, and um, not in the same era, but very close thereafter. Us signing Michael Vick didn't go too well either. Um, <laughs> that was it's not that like, was an interesting thing too, because you guys were desperate for a quarterback at that point, and I was surprised that like there wasn't more support for him but yeah and yeah, i'll tell ahead. you around the area nobody wanted him here like n- like all the fans were like this is a terrible idea don't do this don't do this and you know we trusted tomlin too because i mean tomlin had his back the whole time like tomlin was like you know we have a pretty dynamic offense and we think with his skill set because this is coming off that time where his career was reinvigorated by the eagles uh yeah. you know and he was playing hot he was playing well and 
you know, I was kind of sitting there thinking like, well, look, I mean, it's still Ben's team. It's not like Vic's coming in here to replace him or anything. You know, it's not like Ben's going to get, her- oh, no. Uh, and so then, you know, I Vic ended up playing, I think it was three games, uh, I want to say. Um, and boy, it just it just didn't mesh well at all. Um, and and I, I think it was just more of a miscalculation on Tomlin's part. It was one of those things. It's like, you know, lemonade, good. Chocolate ice cream, good. You don't want to put them in your mouth together at the same time. <laughs> uh, it just doesn't work together. Yeah. Uh, and and that's kind of just how it ended up working um, with, with Vic. I, I I think it was a little overblown. Like people here were like, Michael Vic, didn't he kill dogs or something? Like that was the main sentiment of people around here. Um, and it's like, well, yeah. But I mean, it was a long time ago and he's kind of done his time and let's give the guy a second chance and everything. And, you know, the second chance just didn't end up in wonderful football play. We'll put it that way. (laughs) Um, But those are the only like real like signings I can think of from like a Steelers perspective, like all the other busts and and, we'll get jump back to you guys and come back to these ones later. But they're more just guys you've probably never heard of because the Steelers drafted them, tried them out. They sucked and they're not in the league anymore. Like that's the majority of of what didn't hit in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Um, I'll use this as an opportunity to to make a wonderful segue here because you're talking about things that worked in Pittsburgh or didn't work in Pittsburgh. Let me talk about one that really worked well in Pittsburgh. So much so that when he was a free agent, DC coming off of a Stanley Cup finals appearance uh, against the uh, Detroit Red Wings was like, you know what we need? We need a dynamic game changing forward to sign to this team to put us over the top. And they signed Yarmir Yager. And I was so excited about this. I was like, this team is going to go to the next level. It's going to be amazing. This guy is like a once in a generation talent. And he did dick while he was in D.C. Like, he just did not show up. I don't know what the problem was. But, like, he was just an absolute. I mean, what? Wait, what? He was just, he was a nightmare. Like, he was just a, a shell of his former self. Like, I'm reading over his stats, right? It says late in 2001, the Capitals signed Yarmir Yager to the then largest contract ever in NHL history at 77 million over seven years. Um, however, Yager didn't live up to expectations as the Capitals failed to defend the division title and missed the 2002 Stanley Cup playoffs. For the first time during his tenure with the Capitals, Yager, Yager failed to finish among the NHL's top scorers, help his team qualify for the Stanley Cup playoffs, or make the NHL All-Star team. During the summer of 2002, the Capitals reunited, the Capitals reunited Yager with former linemate Robert Lang. In 2002-2003, Washington finished sixth overall in the Eastern Conference, but lost to the upstart Tampa Bay Lightning in the first round of the playoffs. The lack of organizational success prompted the Caps to unload much of their high-priced talent, so they got rid of Yager. And, like, it was just a mess, man. Like, the dude just did not live up to his like to his expectations. He had down years. And maybe it was because when he was with Pittsburgh, he just had amazing people around him. But, like, this was not a bad Capitals team, okay? Like, he came in and, like, you would think that adding a really, really good player to an already good team would just be magic, you know? Like, it, it, it just makes sense. Like, from the young kid video game playing standpoint, where, like, whenever, remember when we started, you, you first started being able to, like, trade around and, like, pick whoever you wanted to play on your teams in, like, Madden or, like, NHL hockey for, for Sega or for PlayStation or whatever, and you would make these super teams? That's what it just seemed like. It would be like plug and play. You just add this guy in and they're just amazing. Well, it wasn't. And it was, it was, God, it was just such a nightmare. I just remember watching the Caps fall apart 
And I was like, man, they're going to be horrible for a long time. Now, granted, because of this, this is how they got Ovechkin was because they sucked so bad. So in the grand scheme of things, it did kind of balance out. But like those Yager years, man, those were those were freaking brutal. Um, (laughs) Yeah, sometimes it's peanut butter and jelly. Sometimes it's peanut butter and like tuna fish. (laughs) Sometimes it's it's chocolate ice cream and lemonade. Like you said, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh mc who's also who else is on your your mount busmore list i'm also i'm gonna i'm gonna take a almost a page out of your book because you mentioned you mentioned someone before and we actually did a podcast talking about him as an owner and now i'm oh. gonna bring up the other guy from that podcast we did months ago ernie grunfeld fucking ernie grunfeld <laughs> yeah. because i was i was actually just going to pick I ha- you know, one of a handful of Wizards players, because you could easily go with Kwame Brown, could yeah. easily go with Jan, Jan Vesely, who was the starting shooting guard for four years and averaged three points, two points a game as the starting small forward. Hey, but remember, he called himself the next Derek Nowitzki. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Sure lived up to that. Was he not? Was he not? Is it that that not happen? <laughs> The only thing that he contributed to coming to this city was his wife was smoking hot. That was the only yep. thing that he contributed. Yep. All right. But but let's let's talk a little bit about Ernie Grunfeld, who had been the GM here since mid two thousands. But even if you just analyze the last ten years of him being here, he had twenty five picks. Of those twenty five picks in the last ten years. Guess how many are still on this roster? Um, one. One. <laughs> one person. One guy of all of the picks were on the roster. He he. At, there was one draft where he had three picks in the top 30, and all of them were busts. So I mentioned it before we started recording. I was talking to Steven. I was telling him that I'm watching this show on Netflix called Turn, Washington Spies, right? I'm enjoying the shit out of it. I'm, just, I'm a huge history nerd. I absolutely love this show. And one of the things that they show in this is how many colonial officers were were involved with or like potential targets of British intelligence to try to get them to turn or to try to get them to like sell out Washington and all these other things, right? And like as you're talking about Ernie Grunfeld, that's all I can think of because there's at one point and it's it's played up a little bit. It's not historically accurate, but one of the generals under Washington is this guy named Charles Lee. And Charles Lee basically was like a British patsy. The British were basically like, hey, do whatever you can to just like, I don't know, fuck Washington up and like make everything look bad. And like he was like, duh, okay. And that's what he did. That's what Ernie Grunfeld is. Ernie Grunfeld was just like, hey, what can I do to completely fuck this thing up for everybody? Like, it's like, it's it's like where the, who was paying him? Was it like, like another, was it the Lakers? Like the Lakers don't care. I mean, like that's the worst thing about it though, is at least like in in Charles Lee was getting paid by the, like by, by the the King, you know, King George the third. But no, in this instance, Ernie Grunfeld just sucked because he sucked. Nobody was paying him to fuck this up. He was just horrible. Exactly. And like, let, like, let's look at who else was on the board when they drafted, uh, Vesely number six. Uh, you know, guy who might have won his second championship on the second team recently, named Kawhi Leonard. You know, I think think he might have been on the board. Uh, maybe maybe another guy who was part of one of the greatest NBA teams, you know, ever in Clay Thompson. 
also on the board at six. But no, Ernie Grunfeld had to go with his usual strategy of we're going to get a wing guy and we're going to get a guy from Europe. Because if you look at the last seven years, there's guaranteed one draft pick who is from Europe. That's and that that's assuming that the that one of the picks wasn't traded away because that's that's another thing that 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 was a thing under him. Oh yeah, aging guy who's who's a backup player on another team. Yeah, we'll trade you our first round pick for that guy. In fact, we'll trade you our second round pick for that guy also. Jeez. And and, and and even in getting fired, like it's hard to be happy about it as far as the draft is concerned because they don't even have a second round pick for like the next four years because of him. Jeez, just so, <laughs> so, so it's, it's it's like we're happy that he's not there, but it's like hey, we're, we're like that. That's really the upside of it. We yeah. have one player in t- well. One player outside of like the obvious picks in like a John Wall and a Bradley Beal, which yeah. you know you kind of you luck out on with with those guys. Yeah. But aside from them, every other draft pick is gone, and the 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 their in fact their draft pick, his last draft pick in last year's draft, is still playing in Europe and not expected to come to the NBA anytime soon. <laughs> God damn! Great, great call. <laughs> Really, truly, isn't it? Like, <laughs> wow! Oh my God, Just, Steve! Oh, what a what a nightmare! I'm so he glad gave Andre, he gave Andre Blatch money, and Andre Blatch <laughs> is he should be on this list in his own right. But he gave Andre Blatch he gave Andre Blatch money. <laughs> Andre Blatch is stand, standing there on the court, like looking at his check that he just signed that, that Grunfeld just signed. He's like, "Are you sure? You do know that I'm horrible, right?" Like. Do you remember the game where he was very obviously trying to get a rebound so he could get the triple double? Yes. Like, like even, even, tra- even like moving his own teammates out of the way, or trying to be like, move, move, move. I got this. Or, or, or just chucking up rant like the the worst shots imaginable while being triple covered because he was like, I need to do, I, I need, I need this last one. Or when he would, uh, when he lobbed it at the rim so he could, you know, it could count as a shot attempt and he could catch his own rebound. God, so bad joke. What a joke. Oh, God, so bad. Well, at least they're not the football team. Uh, (laughs) Steve, who do you got that's a bust on your list? Man, man, there's a couple here. Um, To me, I I distinctly remember Limus Swede. Um, Both. Yeah, he was a wide receiver that we drafted and he, he he wasn't good. Um, if I'm remembering correctly, and I'll have to look this up, I don't think he ever ended up catching a touchdown in the NFL. Um, and he was in, I think he was in the Super Bowl with us the one year. Oh, God. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, he. 30, I, I, 33 or 43. Yeah. I, I just remember like balls sailing through his hands. Like, it's like you have one job, it is to catch the football. And it seemed like that was the one thing he was incapable of doing. You ready for uh, these career stats? I, I know they're terrible. Seven receptions, 69 yards, no touchdowns. That's not one game. That's his career stats. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Like, And we used a high draft pick on him. Oh, my like, God. He was, yeah. he, was, uh, he was like a second rounder, I think. 
Uh, originally projected like, to be the first late... or second overall Swede. Stock fell sharply due to his injury. 53rd overall. So, yeah, second round. Yeah, late second round. And, I mean, and that's the thing. Like, right now, you know, we have this um, this this notoriety for being a team that generates talent. We, we find wide receivers and we coach them up good. And they and they know what they're doing, and they eventually become superstars. Um, and and we do actually have a pretty long history. I mean, it, some of the names are kind of like rolling your eyes at, like Plexico Burris and San Antonio Holmes. But I mean, those guys were great when they were playing. Um, you know, in the yeah. heart of their career, and all the stuff we were talking about, Antonio Brown. I mean, the guy can ball, and he was from Central Michigan. I mean, it's not like he was from you know USC or something. It's not like he was from. Uh, yeah. Florida or, or or Alabama or anywhere that's like a notable college. I mean, it's Central Michigan, right? Um, you know, Juju Smith Schuster that's on the team right now. I mean, he looks like he's going to be dynamite. Um, he is from USC, so I mean, it's a little bit more notable school. But um, <laughs> yeah, the uh, a little bit just yeah. just the idea that like you know we're we're really really good at identifying these kind of you know late later in the early rounds or like late round wide receivers and just turning them into wide receiving machines that Ben can sling the ball to wherever he wants to. And this was like the biggest whiff of that. Um, and it was in an era where, you know, we, we definitely were throwing the ball a bit. Um, you know, when we, we kind of got big Ben outside of the phase of he's like, I'm a massive human being, so I can just run and do whatever I want in the open field. Like once he got blasted by actual NFL defenders and you know, I think got dinged up a little bit. They're like, okay, so stop doing that and maybe throw the ball a little bit. And that was the era where we're like, okay, Mike Wallace era, you know, Heinz Ward really getting into it. Uh, a guy that kind of good doubles on your end, Antoine Randall L. Uh, some guys that could run and catch the ball. He was like perfect. He's like this big stretch the field kind of dude, you know, go get the ball. And he, like you said, the numbers speak for themselves. That's, that's yeah. a, mediocre one game stat line and that was an nfl career stat line for the dude for two years i want to say i think he was with us for two years uh, i know he didn't even make it out of his rookie contract um but i mean i think he i think we dropped him in like the between a second and third year like early third year so that's pretty horrible as far as uh identification of talent in the draft yeah let's um Let's go rapid fire. We'll, we'll knock these the, the last couple that we have uh, off of our list, guys. We'll go rapid fire here, and then we'll go into some of the other questions that our uh, our, our listeners had asked of us. So my I, I have two because they were drafted in tandem in the same season. It was right after Gibbs retired the first time, uh, and we brought Norv Turner, the offensive coordinating genius from the Dallas Cowboys, as the new head coach for your Washington football franchise. And in that first draft as head coach of the Washington football team, we selected a quarterback and his name was Heath Schuler. Mm-hmm. You guys never heard of him? There's a reason why you've never heard of him because he was an, just an abject, horrible quarterback. Just like, I don't know who scouted him. I don't know who thought he was a good choice. He was, he was woeful at best. But then on top of that, they picked this big receiver from Colorado. Steve, you might be familiar with him because he shared a team with Cordell Stewart uh, on the Colorado Buffaloes in college. Uh, his name is Michael Westbrook. And these <laughs> these guys, both of them were just such, oh, they were such wastes of picks. Because ultimately, ultimately, Heath Schuler got replaced by a guy named Gus Farratt, who played his football, his college football at Tulsa. 
Like, this, he's Shuler went to Tennessee. This is supposed to be a pedigree here, man. And you're getting beat by some dude who plays in a second-rate school in Oklahoma? Like, that's your new starter? You lose to him? And then Michael Westbrook couldn't keep himself on the field because he was always injured. For this dude who did, like, yep. I don't know, like five different forms of jiu-jitsu and karate and was supposed to be this badass, right? He couldn't stay on the field. He was always injured. And when he was on the field, he was making dumbass mistakes, like throwing his helmet in the game when Washington had a real good shot of winning the game by kicking a field goal. No, he threw his helmet, and that pushed them out of field goal range, and it ended in a in a 10-10 tie with the New York Giants when the New York Gi- Giants were just absolute garbage. Like it was, it was, he was an embarrassment at one point he got in a fight with Steven Davis and like, I mean, he abjectly <laughs> beat, beat the, just beat the brakes off of Steven Davis because again, no, it was the other way around. Was it, was it the other yeah, way around? Steve, I yeah, thought... Steve, yeah. Steven Davis beat the brakes off of Westbrook. Was it really? Hang on. Yeah. I, mean, I gotta look at this. <laughs> I always thought it was, I always thought Westbrook whooped his ass because, um, he, you know, again, like his black belt and Jesus and stuff like that. Uh, let me make sure I'm not wrong. I'm looking right now. Hang on. Let me read it. Okay. Kind of sounds like everyone's a loser in this battle. Oh, no. It was Westbrook because the picture that I found okay. on, Mike, on on WashingtonPost.com has Westbrook on top of Stephen Davis. Okay. Like yeah. throwing haymakers. So, yeah. No, he, he did. He did whoop Stephen Davis's <laughs> But, yeah. Well, that was the thing. Is Is he... He did not live up to his expectations. I remember I asked for a Michael Westbrook jersey for Christmas that year, mm-hmm. like when he got drafted. I did because too, I, unfortunately. Yeah, because he was he was this big, tall, strong, fast receiver. And I was like, this is what they need. He's going to be the next Art Monk. And he isn't even qualified to carry Art Monk's jockstrap. Like, just, <laughs> oh, man, I was so mad at him. And then Heath, Bru- Heath Schuler, I, I don't even... My my anger and frustration is pointed towards Michael Westbrook, but he Schuler was just like forgotten. Who cares? Like he, he ended up going to the Saints after this, and again, this is when the Saints were garbage too. So like nobody cared about what he Schuler did because he was that bad. He was that bad that he got passed up by like a seventh round draft pick, Gus Farad, and I think he only started like seven or eight games in his entire career. He was just he was just an absolute just mess. Well, I yeah. remember. In elementary school, they made these like little like football figures, and they had like they're kind of like characters. They had like big heads. I don't know. Yeah, I remember having a Gus Farad one. <laughs> Gus Farad was the man, dude. For for a minute there, Gus Farad was the dude. Like he, like, it, yeah, like every he was so easy to root for because like he was just this yeah seventh round yeah seventh round draft pick like. He was a pro bowler for the, for the, for Washington. Not only that, Steve, he's from like right around your area. He's from Kit, Kittening, 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 Pennsylvania. Yeah. So just like, he was just a dude, like you could watch him play and you were just like, he looks like my next door neighbor. He looks like a guy who would be like out mowing his grass, wearing like white new balances with his socks pulled like all the way up to his knees. Like, and then he'd wave to you politely. Hey, how are you? You know, like Gus just seemed like a regular dude. And he was a pro bowler and he he led them to their first playoff win. If I remember correctly, um, they beat the Detroit Lions. Wait, was that him or was he already gone at that point? And it was um, what's his name? And it was uh, Johnson, Brad Johnson that beat him. Brad I'm looking. There is a name I haven't heard in a long time. Yeah, because that was that was another quarterback that Washington had that was great that we ran into the ground because of uh, horrible management because Dan Snyder didn't like him and he wanted Jeff George instead. Seems to sound like a theme here. 
There's a theme. Again, it was the reason why he need he was the biggest bust of them all, Dan Snyder. But like, yeah, I just got Gus was Gus was the man, and it was a shame. And he Schuler is just a joke. And he's a senator now, but a, a horrible one at that. But like, yeah, just like I'm I'm looking over right now. Like, how many games did he play? Let's see. Let's see, pro career. Where's pro career? Oh wow, they don't even have it here. What does that tell you? <laughs> Yeah, like he, yeah, he got drafted in 94 after the 96 season, Schuler was traded to the Saints. So he didn't even make it three full years with them. What does that tell you? Housers. Yeah. Jeez Louise. All right. Yeah, let's, ah, let's, let's. That's what they're called. Headliners. Headliners. The little, the little figures. Anyway, it's stupid. I shouldn't, I shouldn't buy it with that, but I was like, <laughs> I remember having a Gus Ferrat one of these. Yeah. Oh, man, I'm just reading this right now. Uh, Schuler was considered the quarterback of the future. However, Schuler's uh, poor play contributed to a quarterback controversy, which um, fellow 94 draft pick Gus Ferrat. Public and fan sentiment soon began to back Ferrat, especially after Schuler threw five interceptions and a 19 to 16 loss to the Cardinals. (laughs) Schuler started in 18 games in his first two seasons with the team and was benched in his, his third year as Ferrat led the team. Uh, the Schuler statistics remains remain poor with the Saints. He suffered a serious foot injury during the 97 season and two surgeries to correct it. Football statistics site Football Outsider called Heath Schuler the least valuable quarterback of the 90s. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Oh, man. <laughs> the least valuable quarterback. Like, you could have anybody else. Like, there's probably running backs that were more valuable quarterbacks than he was. <laughs> like, the dudes that are, like, punt holder or uh, kickoff holders or whatever. Yeah, Just, exactly. Yeah, the play, I, yeah. I, need you to, I need you to catch this ball and spin the laces out. And as long as you can do that, you can have a job here. Those dudes are more valuable. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right, guys, let's, let's, let's knock these out. And then we'll go into our last couple of questions we had from the fans. MC, who you got? Uh, all right, I'm just gonna just gonna go through these. Um, Taylor Jacobs, oh, receiver. God, what a ch- <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, do you remember who the quarterback was that year? Danny Warfel. Danny Warfel. Danny Warfel. <laughs> <laughs> hey, and Shane Matthews. All right, have some respect for Shane. Yeah. Matthews. Oh, 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 God, yeah. Ooh. Oh, um, it's so messed up that we reminisce about horrible Washington football teams. <laughs> I mean, if we're if we're being honest, like outside of like three players, outside of like three players, like all of Mike Shanahan's drafts were awful. awful. Yeah. But specifically that 2011 draft, minus Ryan Kerrigan and Niles Paul. Yeah. I mean, Jarvis Jenkins, nobody. Leonard Hankerson, yeah, fail. Roy Hallou, gone. DJ Gomes, who? Evan Royster, Aldrich Robinson, for like a year. Yeah, <laughs> Brandon Thompson. Yeah, bunch of bunch of dudes. No one, no one really, really worth noting. Uh, let's see, Adam Archuleta. I had, I had on there. He's supposed to be like the the John Lynch for for this team when he got signed, yeah. and he was the he was the biggest. Uh, he was the got the biggest safety contract in NFL history at that time, which was uh, six years, thirty million dollars. Which sounds really weird now, considering the money people are getting. But yeah, he. Uh, yeah, I believe he had like one sack the entire year. No picks. Jeez, Steve, who else you got, man? Yeah. Oh, one last one, Papelbon. Yeah. 
Oh, dude, dude. Oh, God. And he choked Harper, which honestly, yeah. in retrospect, was was probably the right thing yeah, to do. Yeah. But yeah, I'm mad at that now. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Steve, who else you got, man? Uh, just a couple more. I, I went all Steelers. Um, Jarvis Jones was uh, uh, on the defense and he was supposed to kind of be like our next guy, like our next you know, playing him and James Harrison, having this sick, sick defense, and he just didn't live up to it. Uh, Dree Archer, um, who oh, I, I don't think he's even taller than my dad. Um, he was supposed to be this like five, tiny six, little, right? yeah, he's this he's tiny like little six. quick dude from Kent State, and he was supposed to be like, all right, we're going to start you out on special teams, you're going to work your way up, and you're just going to be a change of pace guy, and no one's ever going to be able to find you or catch you, and that didn't end up happening literally at all ever. Um then some of the other two, like Richard Mendenhall, you can make a case that he maybe wasn't a bust. But when you look at who else was drafted in the same year as him, you're like, what are you doing taking Rashad Mendenhall in that? I mean, granted, in hindsight now, maybe taking Ray Rice at the time wasn't the right call. But I mean, from a football standpoint at that time, uh, yeah, he would have been the right call. Um, you know, the 08 draft for the Steelers was a very bad one. <laughs> And um, he was uh, he was right there at the top of that. Um, And then I don't know. This one is debatable whether or not this dude was a bust. It was like not a bust until one game. And that's got to I got to include Neil O'Donnell. Um, You know, he had a pretty decent, you know, couple of seasons. We drafted him. uh, And then that Cowboys Super Bowl happened and kind of did away with all the goodwill that he had earned all the seasons up until that point when he threw those two interceptions. He was never the same after that. He was the MVP for the Dallas Cowboys that game, and he was wearing <laughs> black and gold. Uh, and yeah, he he was. They we did not continue a relationship with him after that game. That was the last game he played for the Steelers. Um, I forget who he went. I knew he went to somebody, and then the Bengals, the Jets. But he was I, with the Jets. Oh, the Jets. That's it. Yeah, yeah. and it was just you know what. We need to break up. You know, we, we had a really big fight at this uh, major event in our lives. Here is like our best friend's wedding or something. Uh, let's just never see each other again. OK, <laughs> um, so, I mean, he's not a bust from maybe like a statistical standpoint, but from like a heart standpoint, he's always kind of like Ugh, Neil O'Donnell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's let's talk about. um I mean, we've we've pretty much covered all the ones that I wanted to touch on. The only the only one like the funny thing about the Nationals, because we haven't really talked about them much, but the Nationals have not really existed for very long in the sense that like they don't have a really bad draft history. Like The only one that I really could find is at one point there was this dude named Ross Duttweiler and oh, Duttweiler. Wow. I forgot all about him. Yeah, everybody should, in fact, forget about him. Uh, he, they drafted him as like their next like big ace before they got Strasburg, um, and they picked him over Madison Bumgarner, who is like a World Series stud. Like anytime he gets into the playoffs, he's just unhittable. But they picked Ross Detweiler, who maybe pitched like twenty games in his career. It was just an absolute utter garbage. Uh, that's the only one that I really ever had on here as, as well. Uh, that was the only other one I had. MC, did you have any other ones? Uh, nope. I will. I, I want to give like just a, a quick shout out to some of the other ones that I just historically remember. Like I remember because I had his 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 rookie card, and his name was Andre Ware, uh, and he was drafted by the Detroit Lions, and he was supposed to be like the next big thing, and it just never ever happened for him. Uh, Brian Bosworth is another one that's definitely worth mentioning. 
Uh, Tim Couch is another one. Rick Meyer. Um, there, there's just so many. I mean, like, you want to talk about dumpster fire? Let's talk about Jamarcus Russell. Ooh. Like, <laughs> I just remember, uh, I remember that drink. game, the purple drink. I just remember him playing. It, I remember watching the game. It was an LSU game. And he rolled out. And he was at, like, their own 20, right? He rolled out to the right and launched this pass that had to have been 70 yards in the air to a wide open receiver to win the game in the four, like in the like waning seconds of the game. And I was like, this dude is going to be awesome. And I could not have been more incorrect. It was just, it was <laughs> such a shame, dude. He had such an arm and he, he was just like, God, him. And then Vince Young was another one that like, that's the thing. Vince Young had a couple of good seasons as a quarterback. Yeah. I mean, Honestly, I felt I really felt like he got a bad rap. Like yeah. I, I felt like if he gets drafted to anybody who is not Jeff Fisher, he's probably having a, a much yep. longer NFL yeah. career. Yeah. Just just look at the the best part about Vince Young's story, and by best I mean worst. The worst part about his story is if you read about the way he lived his life. It wasn't so much that like Vince was a horrible quarterback. It's that he had no idea how to live his life as a, as a, as an adult human being, because he literally ate every single meal at the cheesecake factory. Like, it, let me see if I can find it. Let me see if I can find the story. Like Vince young cheesecake factory. Like it was just this, it, it's this insane story. Yeah. Here it is. How of Vince, all the places though. Like yeah. Cheesecake factory. Yeah, listen, here it is. Yeah. How Vince Young allegedly spent $5,000 a week at the Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> 5K? You haven't heard this story? Oh, my God. How? Okay. Vince Young, former NFL All-Pro and Texas quarterback legend, needs a job. This is the opinion of his attorney, at least, who, while not confirming that his client is broke, just confirmed that his client, now employed and out of the NFL, is at least close to it. He can blame many of his pitfalls of NFL riches, thieving custodians of his, we- uh, of his wealth, bad decision-making, and the inevitable losing investment results uh, from bad asset allocation. He may also blame the Cheesecake Factory in their delicious shovel-sized portions. According to Clay Travis, Vince Young spent $5,000 a week at the Cheesecake Factory. This report came from the 2006 season when the rookie Young would take seven to eight of his teammates to the popular chain restaurant to eat. This is a common practice for rookies entering the league, so let's not blame Vince for obeying the customs of his new employers. Let's figure out exactly how someone spends $5,000 at the Cheesecake Factory a week, though. It really isn't as impossible as it sounds, providing you assume a few things. We'll, we'll assume eight people to a party. For maximum gluttony, we'll also assume that the Titans ate at the Cheesecake Factory five times a week. This is far more probable than you want to admit. Most professional athletes in any city flock to large chain restaurants. Five meals with eight people with $5,000 budget breaks down to $625 per person per week, or a $125 meal. But, like... This is we're, we're not talking Gordon Ramsay's three Michelin star restaurant here. We're talking, the freaking we're talking about cheesecake factory. factory. Right? Yeah, it's goodness gracious. It just shows that like these these guys, they don't they don't know what to do with their money. They, they go from college kids to. Millionaires and they're like, well, yeah, what are you going to do? You know, like, let's just go spend all of our money at the cheesecake factory. <laughs> When you brought up Jim Marcus Russell, I thought that was yeah. the way the conversation was going to go about someone being gluttonous, yeah. but apparently it was Vince Young. Oh God, poor Vince Young! Like, I mean, wow. I just I feel bad for him too because that whole like rookie thing. Oh, rookie's got to pay, kind of thing. Like he maybe maybe he was just desperate for friendship and camaraderie, and he was just like always footing the bill. 
maybe that's part of it. But I mean, like towards the end of his career, he was pretty out of shape. Yeah. Like, Yikes. yeah, what a what a mess. <laughs> so let's go ahead and put the bow on that one, guys. That's the biggest Mount Bustmore f- figure right there, and that's Vince Young and his Cheesecake Factory addiction. So. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I wanted to address some of the other questions that we got from some of our listeners too here. Um, let, let's talk about the, um, we'll kind of revisit this. We got it. We got a couple minutes here before we close up shop. Uh, this is from Jeremy Lee of rock deep rogue radio infamy. Uh, he asks, uh, what's the deal with the Sony Marvel, uh, Spider-Man, uh, controversy going on right now? Like, where does that stand? Um, you guys are, are, are well more versed in this than I am. Cause honestly, I don't even know other than it, it ain't going to happen is, is pretty much the, the vibe that I've gotten from both from Sony. Yep. <laughs> they pretty much confirmed it this week. Uh, and uh, they, they decided to put an end to all of the rumors and speculation that they were, you know, se- still secretly having meetings and all of that. Uh, they basically came out and said, uh, no, there's you no, know, it's not happening. MCU's not getting Spider-Man back, and uh, we're good. Yeah, Mike, have you ever heard the sound of a door slamming closed very hard? Yes. You know everything you need to know about the Sony Marvel relationship right now. Yeah, so that's yep. that's pretty much it. So, Jeremy, that answers your question. Yeah. But we do want to get into a little bit more detail with that, too. Like, Steve, we were talking about this before, and you kind of made a really good analogy about this, because I was saying that it just reminds me of, like, one person being... I like asking for like fair treatment and something like think, think of it like this, right? You go to work and you're getting paid to do your work. Right. And somebody says, Hey, um, I need some help, but you gotta be off the clock while you do it. Right. And you're like, all right, I'll give you like 10, 15 minutes of my time. That's cool. So you do that. Right. And that becomes not just a one day thing. That becomes a five day thing. And then the five day thing becomes a month long thing. And then all of a sudden you were like, Hey, listen, I love helping you. This is an awesome project, but I need to be compensated for this. I'm going to go ahead and clock back in. And they were like, whoa, whoa, <laughs> I can't pay you for this. And you're like, what the F, dude? I'm, I'm helping create your thing. That's awesome. And they're like, yeah, no, we have no agreement anymore. This is over. And that's the end of the conversation. That's kind of how I feel this Marvel Sony thing goes, because Sony's kind of got all the, the, the marbles in their hand. And Marvel's just like, well, hey, can we get paid for helping you with this? And they're like, no, I don't think so. That's not going to happen. Yeah, when we were talking before the, um, you know, before the podcast started and everything, because we were obviously going to be talking about sports tonight and the, you know, yeah. football season started and everything. And I just had it in my mind. I'm like, this is almost identical to the very relationship that we see, um, you know, team owners and then, uh, you know, the the players that are under the the collective bargaining agreement have where it's there's one side that's the actual I don't want to say product because they're human beings, but like the actual entertainment, the actual uh, item that people are, you know, the, the the spectacle that people are going to see. And that's the Marvel side. You know, they they go and actually crafted this universe and included Spider-Man into it. Um, and that's the part that kind of people are going to see is their version of Spider-Man and how it's all interconnected and and the in the writing and, and the, the comedy and all the stuff that goes with it. Right. Um, and then Sony's kind of like the owner of the team where they're not on the field. There isn't some, you know, 87 year old billionaire out there running around because no one wants to see that. And that's kind of the equivalent of some of the Spider-Man choices that Sony had been making is the 87 year old man trying to play football. It's just you don't want to watch it. It's not fun. Um, <laughs> and but they own the property. They own the rights. They own the team, et cetera. And, and so um 
right now we're seeing a lot of people really empathizing with players and understanding that, you know, they're putting themselves through a lot. There's a lot of effort and time and, and sacrifice that goes into it. But the owner's the one that owns from a legal standpoint the revenue generating machine that is the team. And that's exactly the split for Sony and 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 Marvel. So I was not surprised at all that people were kind of more leaning towards the Marvel side of things because they're like, look, we come and put our money at the box office and sit in this seat to watch this movie, not because Sony owns it, but because of what we're actually about to watch. Mm -hmm. Um, And and it's very much like the players in, in, say, football, for example. You know, it's like, look, the collective bargaining agreement, we we don't care about all these details. We don't care about your roles and your revenue sharing and blah, blah, blah. Like, we come to watch the players play a game. Um, And it's in this age of information we have, there's so much more uh, about contracts and details and profit sharing and all this kind of stuff. And we end up hearing more about it. And we all kind of have to become like mini legal experts and the contract law and all this stuff. And sometimes it does kind of suck. Cause it's like, look, I just want to go watch Spider-Man and yeah, I want right. to watch a good yeah. one. Right. You know I mean? The Sam Raimi days are over and uh, you know, apparently so are the MCU ones. And you know, what's interesting too is the other thing that Sony has tried to do in the aftermath of this breakup too Especially once the news came out that, yeah, Kevin Feige's been involved with, you know, with us behind the scenes doing all this stuff. Is that they, they also tried to make it seem like, oh, hey, by the way, those those Spider-Man movies we made that you hate, well, guess what? He worked on those too. So maybe it's not just him being great and us being terrible, but maybe, you know, we can just do it too if you just have some faith in us. And maybe maybe they will. You know, maybe yeah. they will make a great Spider-Man movie. Who's to maybe. say they can't? But, yeah. I mean, they don't have this uh, steamroller of the MCU coming yeah. down d- coming down the highway that you know what's going to happen. Like, you know they were going to make something quality um, with Spider-Man. And Sony, you know, the, the track record isn't great, regardless of who did or didn't work on it. That's the movie you put out. Yeah. Like this is what this is literally the equivalent of, equivalent of is Marvel bought all the ingredients for breakfast. They they did all of the cooking for everything, and they're just like, "Hey, in five minutes, take the omelet off the stove." And Sony, <clears throat> excuse me, Sony, Sony's basically like, "Yeah, fuck Marvel. We don't need to, we don't need to listen to them anymore. We can just do this shit ourselves. They've already done all the work for us." How could we possibly screw this up after they've already, you know, uh, did all the cook and the prep work and, and everything here? We just need to do, we just need to not screw it up. And they, they, it kind of like based on all of their their statements in the aftermath, it kind of seems like that's just kind of where where they are. Like, yeah, we can't screw this up. We we still have Tom Holland. We still have the original director. We're we're bringing back the 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 same writers who wrote the first two. You know, what? how could we possibly screw this up? Yeah, I, they'll find a way. <laughs> yeah, And they, they've been so emboldened by the uh, performance of Venom. You know, I mean, yeah. and, and I think there were so many things going for that movie. And I, I don't know. I, I don't know if it was the actual film itself that made that movie successful financially. It yeah. seemed like it was all the other stuff around it. When it debuted, what it was up against, the marketing, people yep. liking Tom Hardy. 
you know, I, critically the story it wasn't greatly received, but it seems like look, we can make bank without you guys. Look at what we did without you with Venom, something in the same universe. Let's just bring in the big guns and add it to what we're already doing. And I don't know, like, like your analogy was great, MC, where it's like, uh, you know, someone else did all the shopping, the prep, the cooking and everything like that. And you're both getting credit for the meal being done just because you own the refrigerator that the food <laughs> was stored in. Hey, it was served yeah. on my plates, guys. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Boom. You put it on my table. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I all press right. I press and... going into the cart. So, you know, it's kind of like we're <laughs> even here. <laughs> all right so um hopefully that answers that question for yeah. you uh jeremy um there i wanted to answer other... oh, yeah go, go ahead dude no you're, you're good go i was gonna say well the 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 uh there wasn't the, there's also an update to that um something i learned earlier today it's kind of a follow-up to when we talked about this uh, a couple weeks ago to where uh remember before uh i told you guys you know, Sony is going to be developing these uh, these television shows based on uh, like Spider Verse characters and whatnot, and and yeah. actually just the Spider Man universe. And it was going to be interesting to see how they could maneuver that because it apparently seemed like Marvel owned uh, owned the TV rights. Well, it turns out it's not. It's technically true. They own the animation TV rights. Sony also owns the the live action. So if, if any of these shows that they're developing are are as long as they're not animation, Sony has is purely within their right to do it. Now the other thing I learned is also something that that uh, involves uh, a recent creation that is now very well well received among Spider-Man fans in the form of Miles Morales. Yeah. And the fact that when he, he because of when he was created, he's actually not part. He actually is not included in the deal that Marvel and Sony struck. So Sony doesn't actually like Marvel actually has the rights to use Miles Morales. Oh, the, dude, really? But but they can't if they were to use him, they can't call him Spider-Man. Which almost kind of defeats the purpose oh. of trying to do of trying to do it but they they can you they can use miles morales if they if, like if they've already hinted at miles morales in the mcu so they could very well you they could bring his character in uh and involve him he just could not be spider-man he, he literally spider-man he literally could look like him though he literally could have the same powers and then you just call him the new kid you don't refer to him as, as Spider-Man. Like that's, uh, that, that's such an easy out, you know? Yeah, I wonder, I wonder what names like, do they have for the rights to Scarlet Spider, for example, like who owns like that kind of like how far down the rabbit hole do we go with um, this? That's a good question. Yeah. Now that, that was someone else brought that to my attention. I was trying to, I was trying to understand, like figure that part out, but I, I, I don't honestly know. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's all dependent on how that contracts were. And like, it's been a long time since I looked this stuff up. Um, I thought it was like whoever, like whatever characters or concepts were developed in the in that comic book is what they bought the live action like movie rights to. Yeah. So like it's not. Couldn't that's you why do Spider not... Gwen? Yeah, like that's new. That's post, like the Spider Man stuff. Like that's new. Yeah. But, you know. It, yeah, you could probably do a lot of different stuff that's new, but 
all the stuff that originally came with the Spider-Man comic line and all the 47 derivations thereof from the 90s. Um, yeah. You know, like Scarlet Spider was pre this deal. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Just think of it like this, though, man. All of a sudden, like you already have an easy out for the MCU, right? The MCU says, OK, so our guy that we, you know, the kid that Tony had invested in so much, um, it, you know, it turns out that he's in a divergent timeline and we can't get him back. So all of a sudden, it, it, basically, you do the same thing that you did with uh, Into the Spider-Verse. And you have Spider-Gwen show up. And Spider-Gwen's the new, quote-unquote, Spider-Man for the universe. I would totally be okay with that. I thought you were going to say Poochie it. And then he went back to his <laughs> own blanket. <laughs> Spider-Man just floats away. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> or if we got Spider-Ham, I'd be okay with that, too. And it still has to be John Mulaney because that, oh, that gosh, yeah. was <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah. Um, let's move on to we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll, we only got a couple minutes here, guys, and we'll, we'll sure. go ahead and wrap things up. Um, Disney Plus. I want you guys to give me two things that you're excited about seeing on Disney Plus. I'll, I'll go ahead and start because I'm going to give one that you guys know I'm excited about. And then I'm going to give you one that you, you'd be like, oh, I didn't think about that. The first one that I'm super stoked about is The Mandalorian. That looks dope. I cannot wait for that. The second thing I'm excited about is The Simpsons because I cannot wait to show Jax all the old seasons of The Simpsons when that show was friggin' hilarious because of any TV show out there. I know this sounds odd, but I think The Simpsons is... I probably logged more hours watching that show than any other television show ever because it was always on. Like in this area, in the DC area, they used to play it on Fox five starting at 7 PM, uh, like at 6 PM. It was mm -hmm. on until, until Remember? eight yep. from six to eight, you got four episodes of the Simpsons. So I've seen all of those first, like I'd say like 10 to 11 seasons. I've seen almost all of those episodes and those are like some of my favorite things and some of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. And I just cannot wait to share that with Jax. That's a MC. good call. Yeah. What yeah, are you? What are you excited about? What are your two excitements for Disney Plus? Uh, first things first, Moon Knight, just because that's that's my guy. Um, I'm really I'm really interested interested to see how they do his story, considering they're you know they're going to keep it pretty PG thirteen, and I know that there are certain aspects of his character that they could you know that if if they had a an R rating that would be be it, they could do a really good job in terms of his depiction. So I'm kind of curious to see what kind of what kind of uh, what they do with his character and uh, with a with it being PG-13. The second thing I'm going to choose is 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 something that is actually it's new news. It's not even 100% confirmed, but if it is, then I'm gonna I'm gonna pick this to be my second thing, and that is apparently Robert Downey Jr. is going to be reprising his role for a new Disney Plus show that appears like it could be Ironheart. And if that is in fact true, that's going to be my thing because I feel like that'd be really awesome, especially if RDJ is going to be involved in it. That is pretty awesome. I, I didn't know about that either, actually. That's that's it, news to it, me. It, it just came out like within the last 24 hours. Yeah. Steve, what are your uh, what are your Disney Plus picks? Uh, I mean, you mentioned Mandalorian. That's that's the one that's that's the hook that's going to get me Uh buying the service and then the stuff that's going to keep me is all the old like disney films that i grew up watching because yeah. it's going to hit at a time where my son's starting to get old enough to be able to sit and watch an hour and a half long movie you know it, it, he, he's not just okay i need to watch a, a two minute little youtube video and then that's as, as much as my attention span is going to handle like 
he can actually start getting into movies so I can go back and watch the old animated films, all the stuff that's going to be on there that I remember like, oh, I remember watching 101 Dalmatians. Let's put this on, you know, and just and have kind of a nostalgia passing of the torch thing to, to him. That is really cool. Jack, Jacks had mentioned just a quick side and you can give us our second. Um, we'll go ahead and go into our next topic here uh, real quick. Jax was saying, he was like, when we get Disney Plus, can we watch all of the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies? And I was like, you're goddamn right we can. Like, <laughs> he hasn't seen any of them. And that's just really exciting for me that we're going to get to watch these together. Um, so I think Disney Plus is just going to be amazing. So those were your two questions that you had for us, Mr. Jeremy Cayley. So I hope you were satisfied with our answers. We got one more topic that we can touch on real quick. And I'll let each of us kind of talk about this for a second. Uh, Yolanda Harvey friend of the show she's been on before she came on when we were doing our march um madness of the marvel slash dc matchup she asked she's like why are there so many 80s and 90s movies being remade i'll start with this one and then you guys can throw in on this one the simple answer yolanda the reason why there's so many of them remade it's easy money because they bank off your nostalgia and nostalgia has become weaponized against people our age where it's no longer a thing that you can nostalgia is supposed to just be a feeling like it's just, I feel nostalgic. No, now it's a thing. Now it's this thing that people have. Oh, that that's nostalgia. It's not a noun. It's a thing. Like it's, it's, it doesn't work like that. It's a feeling you have. It's not, it's not a tangible thing you can touch. And they're, they're doing that with all these movies because it's cheap money because they don't have to, reintroduce new characters to you or they don't have to introduce new characters to you they don't have to have creative storylines they literally can just take an an existing script and cobble it together and say oh well what if we made uh mr miyagi let's make him jackie chan okay cool uh what if we made um daniel son let's make him a little black kid okay cool that's great all right fine instead of america let's put him in china yes sweet okay cool and that's it and they're done it's Part of it is is cool. There's there certain aspects of it that really kind of make it interesting because you get to see other people's interpretations of it. But the other side of it is, is why not just do your own movie? Why did that have to be called The Karate Kid? You could have called it something completely different and people still would have seen it because it's got Jackie Chan in it. And Jackie Chan's awesome. Yeah. 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 I, I agree. Nostalgia is now a genre as opposed to just a feeling you get by watching something or, or listening to something. Yeah, it's. It, it frustrates me and it infuriates me, but like at the same time too, I love that the things that I loved growing up are getting new new attention because without that remake of The Karate Kid, I think that that movie kind of dies with the 80s and we don't get that YouTube um, Cobra Kai, which I still haven't seen, but I really want to. I've heard it's really good. Um, it, it it's a, It's a blessing and a curse, you know? Like, you're getting more money to these things that you loved as a kid. It's the same thing with Star Wars. A lot of people are complaining they don't like the new Star Wars trilogy. Uh, they don't like the new characters. They don't like this. They don't like that. But the thing that you love is getting a lot of attention, which means it's going to get more money, which means it's going to get more adaptations, which means there's going to be new stories. You may not like all of them, but you're getting more of it. So you might find something that you like. Yeah, you, you hit on it. I mean, it's the it's the thing that that is it the safe play. Um, because it's already been successful in, in one way or another. Uh, I mean, think about The Last Jedi. That was something that was new. That was not something that was paralleled off of anything. Um, I mean, that was as, as unique of a Star Wars story as you're probably going to ever see. And it was 
completely polarizing. People loved it. People did not love it uh, or whatever. I mean, it made a ton of money uh, because it had the Star Wars name on it. But like when you're talking about like, well, they don't make anything new anymore. They just copy everything. And that was the big criticism of The Force Awakens. Well, that's what happens when you make stuff that's new. Uh, I mean, they make stuff like the man who killed Hitler and then the Bigfoot. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that that's a new idea. That's something that hasn't, you know, quote unquote been made before. That's not a remake of anything. The, not to say that there aren't new things out there that are happening, like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood seems like it's a pretty unique idea and it's Tarantino and it's him doing his thing like he does. Um so there's still new stuff out there. But the remakes for, you know, they make all that money so that they can make those kind of films, like as far as production companies go. You need to have those safe bets because the income from this one movie has to pay for the next 20. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's a business. Ultimately, as much as we want it to be just an art form, it's also a business and you got to make money off of it. And if you don't make money, then these things die. Uh, And it's it's a sad state of affairs, but it's it is what it is. And like, I feel like it's the same thing with Disney. Disney loves rehashing all of their old movies, all their old animated movies into live action because they already own the rights to it. And it's essentially free money for them. But I would say I would say too, as as much as it is is it can be easy money, it can also be an opportunity for them to a reintroduce it to a newer newer generation or b uh, maybe correct things that they didn't exactly get right the first go around. So like the the example that comes to mind for me right now is the Mulan remake that they're doing. Apparently the original the original Mulan was extremely offensive. To people in China because it because it is an actual uh, urban legend and, and tale over there and the Disney version that wasn't actually completely accurate to the story and so with this reboot that they're doing um, a, a lot of people from our generation you know were kind of upset when they were like oh you know Mushu's not going to be in it you know there's not going to be any of this or that but it turns out that Disney is actually just trying to properly adapt that original story that uh, that inspired the the movie the animated film all, all those years ago and you know if, i feel like you know hey like that's smart and it's a it's a good opportunity to you know to to you know do something right for the people in china who were you know perhaps rightfully offended that your depiction you know 20 some odd years ago didn't get their story right that's a that's a really good point, MC. Like yeah, I guess we're always natural like, gut reactions like remake, ooh. But it, you know, some of them are good. You know, it doesn't necessarily yeah. mean just because they're remaking something, it, it necessarily has to be bad. Um, oh yeah, I think like, you know with, look, with how there's so many like, good remakes. Yeah, and like how compartmentalized that um, like taste is anymore. You know, like when those movies were first coming out, they were hits because that was kind of the movie that was out. It's not like you go on the internet and be like, this is the very, very specific thing that I'm into. Uh, So now, you know, when they're remaking all this stuff, it's for a dedicated audience. It's for the group of people that are really into those kind of movies from the eighties. And so sometimes they hit and sometimes they miss, but um, yeah, sometimes, sometimes they end up really striking chord with the audience they were intended for. Yeah, for sure. Guys, this was, this was a fun episode again we we managed to find something out of nothing which is always always a good thing 
But guys, this has been, as always, a fun episode, uh, having two hours of my evening devoted to spending time with uh, two of my best friends. And I appreciate having you guys on here and doing this. MC, I know you didn't get enough likes for that video, man. Is there any way we're going to be able to see the video for uh, Better Days? Because I really want to see it. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's uh, actually, uh, I was actually just going to surprise drop it today. Oh, where but there, there, there are a couple uh, last-minute edits that have to be made, and so it's a good chance it'll be out sometime this weekend, at the very latest, before we record again next week. Nice. That's that's something to look forward to. Guys, the website it's greatgeekrefuge.com. Check it out. There's podcasts. There's articles. There's all sorts of wonderful content on the site. There's. Really, I mean, we have some new stuff coming up here pretty soon. TK Walker, our, our newest contributor when it comes to podcasting, is working on her own um, true crime podcast and murder mystery podcast. And she's actually got some stuff that she'll be sending me here pretty soon. So stay tuned for that. Oh, here's another one. Our old friend, Mr. Jonathan Gillespie, or Big J, as he likes to be referred to, which is so goofy. If you ever met this guy, you'd understand. He's just like this big, super friendly, like six foot five dude. He's just like the nicest guy you've ever met, but he's a college football fanatic. He's going to be covering college football again this year for us. Uh, and in fact, his article will be up uh, tomorrow before, before these games start. So you guys will have something to read before the, uh, the games of week two of the NCAA football season starts. So make sure that you guys give a read to that as well. But for everybody here, for MC Brooks, for Steve Monick, my name is Mike Lunsford, and thank you so much for turning in to GGR Pirate Radio. And remember, guys, don't be a juice bag. Thank you for listening to GGR Pirate Radio. Make sure you check out our website greatgeekrefuge.com for more podcasts and our awesome articles. Pirate Radio Network production juice bags. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, boy.